episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. I'm Richard Davidson, and I'm joined by my good buddy, Ethan Hoffman. Now, Ethan, it's President's Day weekend, and we're both off on this Monday. So, I mean, we don't normally pot on a Monday morning because I'm in school, but how has this weekend been for you? No, it's been pretty good. You know, All-Star Weekend has come and gone, and to be honest, I really only sat down and watched everything for the skills competition, three-point, and dunk contest. I took the approach of, you know what, basketball's not going to be on until Thursday of this week, so I have plenty of time to go back and watch the Rising Stars and All-Star Game whenever I feel like it. But I did catch the fourth quarter of the All-Star Game here recently just to make sure we had I could uh, comment on the new format and get that information out to the people. Yeah, obviously the fourth quarter being the biggest difference, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that soon. Um, for, for me, I, I missed um, a lot of the Saturday night festivities, you know, except for on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I had other events. I was coaching a basketball playoff basketball game. We won, as you know, we won on a last second three. Um, it was exciting, um, but so I, I really didn't get a chance to watch. Uh, you know, Dwayne Wade trying to uh, make sure all the Miami Heat guys won all the contests. Yeah, you know, Duncan Robinson has a lot of explaining to do when he gets back to Miami the, the rest of this week because uh, he really dropped the ball there. Could have, you, know, you really yeah. gotta just you gotta shoot them through the hoop, not be missing so many. Yeah, tough life. Who who, who even won that? It was Buddy it Booker. Healed. Oh, Buddy, Buddy Heald. Oh, Buddy Heald. There you go. Buddy Heald trying to say that I am worth all that money that you paid me, Vladi. Yeah, that's an interesting situation. We we'll have to get into that at some point this year, <laughs> yep. as the season uh, continues. Um, you know, Harrison Barnes says he's not shaving until the Kings get back to 500, so he's got to wait till the start of next season probably. And yeah, Buddy Heald, uh, he's got an interesting, interesting season ahead of him with uh, looking like they're gonna pay Bogdan. That's uh, gonna be a really small, you know, backcourt with three players all of a sudden, you know, instead of instead of four. But I know they've been, I know they haven't been starting Buddy Heald a lot lately. But that'll be interesting. We'll have to, we'll have to like fo- focus in on that before too long because that's that's gonna be an interesting story coming up. Yep. So um, with with all this. Um, that has happened uh what what do you feel about um the saturday night things as far as they did some new stuff right uh can you explain anything new that happened in the saturday night kind of um competitions the skills competition i've liked that it's kind of come into its own as it's a direct competition not just a time trial i remember watching Dwayne wade do it a long time ago and he like it was just a time trial and then you know inevitably like he won twice in a row um i like that they do it head to head now with you know so it's like legitimate like running against each other you, you see the mistake live and the other player has the opportunity to capitalize so i, I really like how that hasn't changed recently um obviously bam won that and that was very exciting for me bam made more threes in that competition than he has all season so that was really that was really fun to see and Dwayne wade said oh he's not a shooter though and then bang nailed it it was that was a great feeling uh i will say i i really liked the mountain dew shot added to the three-point contest and here's why i think there's no two better shooters um or uh, uh, there's three the three best shooters in basketball in my opinion when when everyone's healthy are kevin durant clay thompson and stephen curry and they happen to all play together and the fourth one though would be damian lillard and I was really disappointed we didn't get to see Damian Lillard take those three, those Mountain Dew three-point shots because that's literally his shot. Damian Lillard takes some of the most difficult threes in the league, and from that range, a lot of times he is contested. And I was excited to see that shot get added because that really does put a, you know, sh- shows the value of these guys who make their shots off the dribble like, like Damian does so frequently. So I like that that was added to the game because you could see some of the players who are really comfortable shooting it, like a Buddy Heald, like a Devin Booker, guys who have the ball in their hands a little bit more frequently than your your Duncan Robinsons, who who made one of them, and your Davis Bertans, who I, I know he made one in, in some, some of his rounds. But you can see there's a couple guys who had to think about that shot a little bit, whereas Devin Booker, Buddy Heald, it really felt like a natural shot for them. So I, I like that being added as a new factor for these great shooters. So, um... Who was the worst uh, participant in each in each event, according well, to you? Oddly enough, Trey Young was horrible in the uh, three-point contest, and I mean that, that checks out. His percentages has has never 
lived up to the, the shots he takes, but he does take a lot of difficult shots. Um, I did think he might be able to survive um, because he, I thought he would make those Mountain Dew range shots because he does like the pull from there, but he did not do very well. Well, maybe he just needed his teammates to be out there calling for passes while <laughs> yes. he was taking it. Then maybe they'd go in. Yes, yeah, he, he needs to like be denying somebody, right? Because he's not going to deny anyone on the defensive end, so he has to deny people on the offensive end to get his shots off and stay happy with it. So he was definitely the worst in that competition. Um, the, the skills challenge, I don't know, it was all the small people. all The bigger person in all the competitions until the final round Pat won the skills contest. Like Whoever was the taller player won every round until, bam, marginally smaller than Sabonis uh, got the upset in the final round. So I think just guards in general had a bad showing. I think Spencer Dimwitty, if I'm not mistaken, no, who, who was the he one? He won who it passed? last year. He did. There was there was someone who dribbled. Chris Middleton dribbled off his leg, in in his uh run. So even though he, that was his first mistake, and I know he won his first round matchup because you dribbled off your leg, you get the goat of you're the worst of the uh the skills competition because you're you're supposed to be a guard out here and you dribbled off your leg. That's that's a bad move. Yeah. And for the dunk contest, I think it has to be Dare. Uh, I'm not. I'm not Dare. <laughs> Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard. Uh, had a pretty like I thought pretty good dunk, but the full extension like every way, which way is not as cool when you're you're almost like you're six eight six nine because you're 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 gonna be up in the air a lot longer than your small guy. So that that just wasn't as impressive as I thought he thought it was gonna be. Oh, I mean. Didn't didn't he do like a Superman thing? I'm just like I'm go, trying to go from my Twitter thing. Yeah. Like okay, Dwight. Like <laughs> no, really, it, it wasn't very good because the only like it was cool to see Jameer Nelson come back on an NBA court again and not. No, it's and, not. I he's he was on my NBA court far too recently. Yeah, for, but for, for this but to be without the without the jersey showing how wide he is. Oh, so it, wide. The, the, the jacket was very slimming, you see. So it was a good okay. look, and him him just throwing it like really the best thing about that dunk with a Superman was Jameer Nelson throwing it over the backboard pass like that. That was the most impressive thing because like that's a, that's a tough pass to you know get timed up right. But he jumped from like you know two like a step and a half inside the free throw line. He's a massive player, so it's not a, that's not a lot of ground to cover. And he just you know he just caught, cocked and dunked it. And it wasn't like there just wasn't anything special about either of those dunks uh, when you factor in like yeah he, he did it pretty easily. But you're I would hope you could. Yeah. So he he was the loser of the dunk contest, but he's old like. Just like Nate Robinson got some wins and some extra points when he was small, like maybe Dwight was hoping he'd get some extra points and wins because he's old. Didn't yeah. work out for him though. Did did not. Um, let's let's zero. I mean, obviously Bam uh, winning the the skills challenge is. Uh, let's let's see. Is he is he the now the uh, tallest person? No no no. Christoph Porzingis Christoph and Carlton Towns won a couple years ago. So. Yeah, so Kristaps will, I think, forever be the tallest person to win that because uh, if he's seven two or seven three, that's a tough. That's there's not there's not there's not a lot of people that are bigger than that guy. And that's true. You know, we need we need Taco Fall to come out for this, but instead Taco Fall came out uh, in the dunk contest. This is this is the one that I saw, and this is has caused had caused the most stir um, on on the social medias with Aaron Gordon being denied. Uh, the dunk contest even after jumping over one taco fall. Now, now, Ethan, the listeners are very aware of your inherent Miami bias. Yeah. But, I, I mean, talk to us about the dunk contest and some of the uh, um, discussions surrounding it. So, I think the biggest issue to tackle is while Dwayne Wade is very up-to-date on most social causes, you know, his recent um, son-daughter transitioning thing is you know, honestly, like a pretty heartwarming moment for a lot of people because, you know, just lo- love is love and that's really important. But we're finding out that Dwayne might be a racist because he was hating on Duncan Robinson in the three-point competition and he was hating on Pat Connaughton in the dunk contest. So, Dwayne, we got we to gotta come to we gotta come to grips with that. We got we to gotta reel that one back in. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> Dwayne did not have a good night from what I could tell. Most people who aren't Heat fans did not find his, his humor very amusing. And uh, his, his maybe biased score in the final round, which, to be fair, Scottie Pippen and Chadwick Boseman had the same score, so I'm not here to here to just put all the blame at Dwayne Wade's feet. 
But I, I would say objectively, Aaron Gordon could have won that as easy as he could as he could have won when he went off against Zach Levine. Although Zach Levine, like I think, is you know maybe next to Vince Carter as the greatest dunker of all time. So we we, we also have Ethan being uh, ha- having some bias in in that regard as well. Hold on, like, just now, Okay, whatever. Like, I I know I do love Zach Levine, but I hey. When Aaron Gordon was a freshman at Arizona in his second game in college basketball, who texted you, Richard, about how I, how much I liked him, but also how much he looked like you? Yeah, I just, you know, maybe I'm having some bias because it was really me in the dunk contest, and, and I'm getting robbed. <laughs> yeah, left you, you've and just right. been robbed left and right. It's it's a terrible, terrible side. But here, here's my thing: is I think at the end of the day, the the scoring is just too they get they get points out too easily. And I think some of Aaron, like Aaron Gordon's dunks were really good, and they were like, oh, wow, that was good. But I don't think they were all tense. And objectively speaking, I think they b- both dunk, um, Derek and Aaron had two 50s each. And the rest of them shouldn't have been 50s. And that's where the problem is comes is everyone gets excited, which is good. I mean, we're glad that everyone's excited. These dunks are really good. But if we're trying to actually determine a winner, we can't just be giving out 50s willy-nilly and, you know, it, it, they need to be a little bit more, have a little bit more discretion and and cr- hard critiquing, and so maybe we need to tighten up who the judges are, or something. I, I don't know. It's it's fun to have your celebrity judges. Good to have Candace Parker out there, but I don't know. Dwayne and Scotty didn't have the best eyes tonight or last <laughs> I, night, two nights ago. I mean, ago. with with this, like the dunk contest has always like has had a trend of people being like. Well, we, we've seen a lot of these dunks before. This is a dunk that, I mean, you it's just not that impressive. Okay, you threw it off the backboard, then you dunked it. You did this, then you then you dunked it. And because dunking itself and is we begin to think that okay, we've seen all these all this creativity before. Like people have dunked over top of people before. Like they've jumped over top of people to dunk it in many dunk contests, not just in the NBA one, but just, you know, all over all over the place in high school or, or college dunk competitions. And so it, these things have happened. And, and then, so we're trying to now bring in extra props, make things, make things, make a show of things. And the judges are there to try to make people think that this is great. Everything is crazy. And so um, if there's any dunk, you know, the announcers will, will go, uh, will just automatically be making, um, you know, a big deal of things, even if the, even if the dunk really wasn't that great. And like you said, far too many fifties being handed out. Some some um, you know, it's it's something that you know possibly could have some ways that you could you could improve it. Like for example, Nate Silver um sent a couple tweets out, you know, speaking to this point. It's like there's just there's just too many tens. People can give them out whenever they want. You should maybe maybe you should do something like having each judge gets an eleven where they can give that out just one time, though. So it's one way to separate the best dunks out from just the good ones, and yeah. you know something like that. I don't, I don't know what exactly what it is, but with the way that it's currently being graded, you're going to skew toward more fifties than you probably should, and it becomes very difficult to differentiate, um, you know, one fifty from another, or even uh, a fifty that really doesn't deserve it from a forty nine. That was pretty like it's it's all very very subjective, but we're trying to assign numerical things to make it seem objective when really yeah. it's really it's not. Well, at the end of the day, though, like this, what we're if if I can't argue that Aaron Gordon shouldn't win, it, the fact that he brought out this TikTok just to do a dance and like it didn't involve him in the dunk, that's where keeping it real goes wrong. You tried to you tried to bring out a prop and you didn't even use it, and so I not a fan. You lose because that was corny. Get that out of here. Derek Jones Jr. just jumped over people. He didn't. He didn't bring out any other props. Yeah, and it, also, he had the better jersey. Ty goes to the better jersey. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't. I can't say anything about about, about the jerseys. So, it's, well, I mean, Miami Heat have the best. Yeah, like there's only been a like honestly, like I, I went through it one day. With my buddy Cam, I was like, "Hey, because you know, we were talking about the Lakers jerseys, and I'm like, the Lakers jerseys are always just they're just they're just fine, you know? They they've been around forever, and they they, they keep this look. They, like they haven't had a great look since they they were blue." And he was arguing with me. I'm like, "I'm like, dude, it's it's just not it's there's no contest. The Heat 
historically have the best jerseys. They always find a way to make a good jersey. I gotta say, that. I, go, go, go ahead. There's only a couple misses, and the miss was when they did something collabing with military stuff, and it looked like a uniform, and it was terrible. It was a terrible jersey, and unfortunately, when they wore those, they went 11 and 30. <laughs> like, and then they stopped wearing in the second half of the season, and they went 30 and 11. There you go. Um, I was gonna say Utah had a had some a pr- pretty nice ones a couple seasons ago. Um, with their I, I don't know if it was you know how the NBA has like, like the association city or statement city. It was the city yeah. ones, and they still wear those the ones with the uh, the the yellow yep. red to like that burnt uh, mm-hmm. deep burgundy. Yeah, yeah no, those like are very those good as well. And you go go back to the Carmelone era with the mountain, like that was a good jersey. But there's there's some big misses in there. The Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer era, Utah, a uh, little lacking there. Right. You like the light blue alternate, but the, the rest just what there wasn't a lot going for it there. And what I'm saying is like the Heat's just standard jersey is great, and most of their alternates are pretty good too. Going back to Zoe, going back to the uh, the one with the pink and orange stripe down the side, like it's just fire jerseys almost the entire way. I gotta say the worst jerseys, I I want to say of all time were the Detroit City jersey um, of, of a year or two ago. With the tire essentially, track? With the tire track, so it looks like they got run over. <laughs> like, <laughs> and we always got crushed in those two. So it's, hey, it's yeah, not good. Yeah, no, I think Detroit, just because, like, their coolest logo was, you know, the the the, the, the horse, right? Man, but I feel like it was yeah. tough to have on a jersey. Like, they look good, but I think sometimes it was too much going on. Listen, Detroit, Detroit Twitter, like this off season in August when there's not much going on, um, you know, there's no more summer league to get excited about. They just people, everything was just from August through September, Jersey arguments, people putting out different concepts and different things. And, and the whole argument, which made our beat writers just totally like they couldn't handle is like the teal jerseys, because if you were younger than a certain age uh, in Pistons Twitter, you could, you could. You could tell because of how much they were like, man, you want the teals back. And it's like, if you remember the teals, you got, you got just totally crushed in those teals. And, um, you know, no, nobody nobody in the moment liked them at all and thought that they were trash. But that's probably because we were also losing and we were a yeah. trash team at the point at, at that point in time. And so that was, I mean, ugh, I think a lot of it also has to do like if, if the Miami Heat were winning, w- would that have made you feel a little bit of l- less angst toward that um, toward, toward, toward those, uh, no, ugly, just no, no, no. I saw those the first night that we were going to wear them. And I was like, Oh, those are bad. <laughs> and contrary when we, the first year of the vice with the white vice, which was a good, was a good vice. Not as good. The best vice is the black vice, but the white vice was good as well. We lost a lot of games in those white vice jerseys. And I was like, Hey, you know, we're losing in style, bud. We look <laughs> great out there. Yep. The, the Spurs did go up, try to do that um, military one as well, and it was not good. Oh, bad. Even with the digital bad. urban camo, very bad. So yeah, I think between good. the Spurs and depending on how you feel about the, the just the classicness of the Celtics jerseys, all Celtics alternates, bad. And the Spurs, just they got a great home in a way. Their alternates are almost always bad. Yep. Well, we got a little bit derailed talking about jerseys, but that's okay. Uh, let's go ahead now, Ethan, and get to the – Sunday night festivities um, with the All-Star game. Now, obviously, um, the there's a new All-Star game format, which it seems as though there's something that's different every single year. The NBA has been trying for years to make the All-Star game better. I mean, the, the issue is, is obviously these guys are incredibly rich. How do you incentivize, incentivize people who uh, to, to play basketball? when they're buddies with each other now you know off the court a lot and how do you incentivize them to um you know go after each other you know we've they've tried to do okay no longer east and west we're going to go ahead and have captains vote and maybe maybe that'll do something maybe instead of trying to give money to the winners because they already have a bunch let's do it for charity maybe they'll play for charity and you know it's it becomes a thing where they'll really begin to play in the last three minutes of of the game well, the beauty of this format is I mean, the first three quarters are, you know, the same old stuff, charity. You know, each quarter started 0-0. They're keeping track of the of the um, cumulative for the by the time the fourth quarter gets around for the, for the really unique thing this year. And then the winner of each quarter gets 100000 for a Chicago-based charity since the game was played in Chicago. And then 
the winner of the fourth quarter would get 200000 But with the fourth quarter, they did something called the Elam Ending, which if you... Uh, which, you know, if you were looking, you're like, what, what, what in the world is that? Maybe you had to Google it. But essentially where there's a target score, and they did it for Kobe Bryant, right? Um, they said, hey, whoever, we're keeping track of the cumulative scores for the first three quarters. Whoever's leading, we're adding 24 points to that, and having that be the target score, first team to get to that um, wins that first fourth quarter. For me, when, when these rules came out, I was like, well, this is interesting, because immediately I was like, well, they're probably going to um play for that fourth quarter because if you're just dinking around you, you know you're going to lose it. I did think that the fourth quarter would go really really quickly, but apparently it took forever. And so um you know that was an interesting thing, but it, it they ratcheted up the defense for an entire quarter, which is more than the All-Star game has had in seemingly forever. So, you know, overall I think that um the NBA is probably very thrilled with nearly everything that happened there, except for the game ending on an Anthony Davis free throw, but you know they they can they could probably fix that, right? You could just say, hey, any fouls in the fourth quarter, um, side out, just yeah, side out of bounds. I mean, you got to figure something out for like an and one. Like, what happens if if it goes in? Do you you keep you possession, just, just like just like keep... some 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 pickup rules, right? Oh man. That that really make I think you gotta ones have and to twos be, keep possession. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, and and so like I, I don't totally know all, all the the details, but like there's ways that, there's small ways you can get that. The overall format I think worked here, and if the NBA is wise, they'll keep this format. Now they they made the All Star, um, you know, M- All Star Game MVP the Kobe Bryant Trophy. He tied for what was it was it we say bob pettit yeah but bob pettit he won his in the back in the 50s so we're gonna just go ahead and say that there wasn't enough black people playing basketball that those none of those count just like babe ruth doesn't count as a player unless he himself was black which is a good rumor to start oh my well um point is is after kobe bryant i think that this format um at least the fourth quarter maybe they'll tweak things you know 30 points i don't know like, I, I just hope that they don't try to get too cute with it that it makes this fourth quarter thing that works so well this year. Like, it kind of – I just hope they don't do something to negate that going forward. Yeah, um, no. Like, watch, watching – you know, I was I was kind of, you know, 20-second skipping on League Pass here to make sure I, you know, got to watch most of that fourth quarter. So I had something to contribute to this conversation. And from, from what I saw, like, there was obviously some really, like, aggressive defense being played and some, you know, flopportunistic – defense as well and i think i think that's good and funny like that's like oh kyle lowry that little rascal's doing it again so like that's kind of entertaining um like it's way more entertaining in an all-star game honestly than it is in a regular season game where i actually care about the end result but i i think this you know elam ending is is a pretty good way to close like there like i said we have to figure out a way that doesn't end on free throws because that's so anticlimactic like maybe even if it's just like when someone's within five points, but like just like when you're playing pickup straight up t- to a score, man, like you, you got guys who can score well in isolation. As soon as they touch the ball, they just get fouled. You know that's what happens every time. So I, I can if I could tell you how many times I've been clobbered in the back of the head because I got a, I got I got an inside seal and I was about to go up and nope, we're not even gonna let him shoot. Whack. Yeah, oh, that, foul that, up that's, top. That's the only kind of like concern because. All it takes is one injury for for all this like great fourth quarter stuff, you know that that were that we saw to to be just totally done. So you're right; they got to be careful with 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 that. It's just you would like, I don't know, you'd like the ending to to not end that way. I mean, let's, let's think about the types of shots that we were seeing uh, at the end. I mean, LeBron's pulling from just past the logo to try to end it, like. Um, you know, because they just needed a three to go in until he went in and dunked it. Um, but I feel like you're probably not going to be having shots that are in traffic. And I feel like people are going to want to try to end it on some deep shot, some difficult, you know, whatever, like we, like we ended up seeing. Yeah. People are going to want to end it like on a climax, right? Like that's yeah. not what we're looking for. It's just stinking Kyle Lowry. I don't know why they got, I'd have to re- replay it. 
and like figure out where that switch went wrong because you can't have Kyle Lowry guarding Anthony Davis. That's a mismatch. They're going to oh, fi- well, find it every time. Here's what it was. It was because James Harden uh, got scared. I don't know who it was. It was Pascal Siakam or someone. Yeah, that's um, and so, you know, he he, was, he had the open layup and got scared for a moment, thought to himself, wait a minute, I need a three because I'm a, I'm a Houston Rocket and passed it out to the corner. Um, and I think in that, the rotations just found themselves as such that um, Kyle Lowry had to shift on to Anthony Davis. And when they, by the time they got it back out to LeBron, LeBron recognized and then it was over. You do um, need to understand, and I, and I told you this, Richard, that, that specific shot, James Harden has not taken that since his OKC days because James Harden, known for working above the break and in. That yep. was coming from the corner. He hasn't taken a shot like that in a real game. And this wasn't even a real game. But he hasn't taken that shot in a game in so long. He wouldn't know what to do with that shot. So he had to pass it out. That's why. I'm telling you. I know. Paying just, attention I, to these things. But, but I'm, I'm just saying. That guy, that helps. That helps that defense is coming so quick. All it takes is one pump fake. And you got, you got an easy layup. I'm just saying. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I'm telling you. It's re- reps over results. No, I do want to mention. Reps weren't there. I do want to mention um, with with the way things like ended up being ref. Like, how difficult must it be to be a ref? Oh, where trash. you Absolutely like trash. at the All Star game in this one, where it's like the first three quarters, you know, you really can't get too involved. You're just there to make sure nothing, nothing no funny business happens. You're there for your cardio. Yeah, you're there for your cardio, making sure no one accidentally, you know, nothing escalates. There's no reason it should in the first three quarters, but then. Then it's like you now need to be inconsistent with the way that you've been refing this game up to this point, yeah. and now ref it because the guys are trying, and you've got to be careful because again, any injury that happens like this would be like on you'd probably feel responsible yeah. to some degree, and so that's got to be incredibly tough. And then then you got you're there calling offensive fouls, uh, um, on or for and against Kyle Lowry at, at the end there, so. Silly. Yeah. No, it's it's, it's it's kind of a lose lose there, but mm-hmm. hey, I'm sure the check clears, so go ahead and do it. Oh yeah, do it, figure it out. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so there's that was the All Star weekend. Um, interesting time. I think it's probably I think collectively we'd probably say this is probably the best uh, All Star weekend as far as like news and stuff coming out from it. Like the, probably the best well talked about All Star weekend in a while. Maybe it's a recency bias, but I I just feel as though um, with how well that fourth quarter went, um, and just the you know the discussions from from the dunk contest and other things, I, th- I feel like it was an overall win for the NBA. Yeah, I mean this is year two of the trade deadline being over before the All Star break happens, and so that 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 does nuke some headlines going into this game that we used to see. So like there was a some kind of a lot of times there was like a oh little like what's going to happen? Something could still happen. All these guys are talking. They're getting drunk at the hotel bar. They're going to they're going to give up a first round pick and the better player in a draft. You know, like the Nurkic and Plumlee trade. But you know, at the end of the day like it's a I, I think some of these rule changes have like stimulated the conversation a little bit more whereas now the trade deadline's not going to be doing that. So I think these things have been pretty positive. I I I agree with all that. Here's what I'm going to say. I think that the NBA needs to to do something a little bit and have the trade deadline be during the All-Star break, but I think that they should do it in such a way where maybe there's less time after the All-Star break and there's more time beforehand and have the trade deadline end like right before that because I'm sorry, the NBA like if we're having a trade deadline happen on a random Wednesday when teams have games that evening, like that's tough. Like you're, yeah, you have to, you know, field a team of six players and ho- hope that you can, you know, hope that you can do anything with that. It's right. If you're making trades before the deadline and you put yourself in that situation, like when the that's Jordan Clarkson fault. got traded, like that's fine. Like you clearly are in a, de- you're already in a desperate spot for some players. If you're making trades that early, you know, that what's one more game of a, a problem. Whereas like, you know, when the Heat were waiting for Crowder and Iguodala to join the team, there was there was a day, like, literally seven players were available, and one of them was Giannis Haslam. Yeah, it's it's like, come it's, on. It's a mistake. <laughs> yes. So, like, that's one thing, but that's not an all-star weekend thing necessarily. So, I, I guess I'm, 
Uh, We're derailing the podcast again. We, what we are. Saying. We are. We're doing that. Let, let's get to some other news coming out of Chicago. Because, you know, apparently the Bulls front office um, or, or some higher ups there were doing a little legwork, um, trying to figure out a way to have a shakeup in the front office. And it could lead to, to Jim Boylan as well. But Gar Foreman, current GM, um, the, the idea is that uh, um, Resendorf and um, – uh, See, the problem is I can't even think of, like, John Paxson as separate. I always just refer to them as Gar Pax. And yeah, so no, it, that's it, two people, Richard? What? Yeah, th- yeah, it's, it's two separate people, and so it's just tough. But, like, apparently they were doing a little bit of legwork trying to find a way to replace Gar Foreman, um, which, again, it's got to be weird for, for John Paxson feeling like he's severing off his own, like, a body part there because of how, of how united they are. But yeah. the idea is that they might be thinking of moving on from him. And, I mean, I, they've had a whole lot of stability. I guess maybe that's the wrong word. They haven't had a whole lot of change in the front office um, in a very long while. And that's surprising considering how bad the Bulls have been during during this, you know, overall stint. Obviously, you had the, um, the Derrick Rose, Jimmy Butler, you know, Joakim Noah years mm-hmm. early on. But I mean, with, with the Derrick Rose injury and them not going quite as far as maybe they would have imagined, feels like they hung on for a little bit longer, well, a little too long, in my opinion. So what do you, what do you think about all this um, potential Chicago buzz that we're hearing? Well, I think it's, it's, it's time to move on. I think it has been for the last couple of years. But it, it is always tough to like determine exactly when when to pull that trigger? Because I mean, like, let's let's uh, uh, let me read off some records. So they they took over in 2009, and so it's 41 wins, 62 wins, 50 wins, 45, 48, 50, 42, 41, 27, 22, 20, or, and 19 as the season currently stands. So like, in terms of record, this team's held up okay. Like we're, we 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 get onto plenty of teams for not knowing when to pull the trigger on blowing it up. But, you know, all, we, we should give credit because we criticize some teams for not going for the playoffs when they have the opportunity to. But we need to say, hey, this team, you know, really tried to be a playoff contender all those years. Granted, this team was carried by two, two, three main players. It was it was Joakim Noah as a, as a you know, center and the hub of the defense, and then Rose until his injury, and then Jimmy Butler, who they eventually traded. After that, Jimmy Butler trade has been downhill ever since, even with some uh, young talent coming in. But with that in mind, they did. They haven't managed Young Town particularly well. You know, Wendell Carter and Laurie Markkinen, while like theoretically part of a three-big rotation, they have they haven't played well together almost at all. Giving big, uh, bigger money to Zach Levine, maybe not the best move. I like him. I think he's an elite offensive player. But unless you have a defense to surround him, can he really be a team's best or second best player and be winning? Yet to be seen. So, like, this, the asset management of late has been really bad. They acquired Otto Porter Jr., who has played, like, probably 26 games for them over the two-year stretch, which, I mean, no, it's a, it's a half a seat, like, basically a, f- a full season by this point. He's played, like, 20 games. That's not good enough. And I, I did want to mention, though, as much as we give this team a bunch of crap for some of their asset management, like, they, they have done, like, all in all, it's been a good stint. But it was really buoyed by the first five years, and the last four have been terrible. Yeah, and I guess it's just my question of, like, generally, I'm I'm a person for patience. I I, I want to give people a chance to go out and and work out their plan from beginning to end. It just seems as though they've been living on borrowed time. Um, with you know them saying, all right, we're gonna go out and we're going to move on from. Jimmy Butler, and then we're going to go ahead and, and you know, they, they brought in a new coach. Not, I mean, man, Fred, Fred Hoiberg, right? They bring in Fred Hoiberg. And when that doesn't go well, like, for me, when when the Fred Hoiberg thing was was, was beginning to, to come to an end, like, that would have been the, all right, let's go ahead. Like, I think this should have happened a year ago, um, is, is what I'm saying, essentially. Because, yes, I th- think they did a a good job of, okay, we got to do something with Jimmy Butler, and they gave themselves a, right, here is our, here's our reboot, right? We're gonna move on from him, and we're gonna we're gonna get this new team going with with this with this new coach, and 
I don't know. I, I just feel as though they've been living a little longer. So I'm not, I'm not surprised. Um, I think that it's about time, but man, props to, you know, props to PAX there for, for being able to somehow hang on into, right. into this, into whatever this new regime ends up being. Yeah, no, I was, I was just doing a little compare and contrast with Tom Thibodeau's last year and then Fred Hoiberg's year. So Tom got fired slash removed after a 50 win season. Yeah. Like, and the biggest complaint with him was he was grinding his players, you know, down. Like, they just weren't ho- going to hold up. But, like, I was looking at those things like, all right, I wonder what happened with three-point attempts versus percentage from that transition. So, in 2014-15, uh, they were middle of the pack. They shot the 16th most uh, free th- uh, three-point attempts per game. And so you'd think, okay, well, let's see how that change is going to um, – Fred Hoiberg, and actually, they became the 24th most prolific three-point shooting team while having the third best percentage in the league. They shot 70, uh, 37% from three under Hoiberg, but they didn't take as many as they should have been. And so it's one of those things that they thought they were getting something that was going to work better. And I, I, I just wonder if, because of like a couple personnel moves bringing in Pau Gasol and still having Derrick Rose like not playing very much Jimmy Butler not a three-point shooter like it just they couldn't ever get the correct personnel with the right coach and maybe like that's why things didn't go so well and it all spiraled from there because they haven't had a good season since that last Tom Thibodeau year yeah and now we're on to Jim Boylan who who sees himself as Greg Popovich but you know without the I'm I'm very disappointed in myself for thinking that um, Lowry Bird and Wendell Carter and Zach Levine could overcome this coaching problem, and I'm well, it's, feeling it's, bad about it. it. It's tough because Lauren Markin's defense, not great. It's bad. And you got Zach Levine. You, you can't have – if you have Zach Levine out there, you, you really can only have one negative defender like that. I think on, on your roster, if you have, if you have two very negative defenders, then your defense is just not going to be good. And they've got to be really outstanding offensively um, in, in order and, to make it happen. And, the, and they just tough. haven't been like, I thought yeah. this team would be a really good three point shooting team and they are 24th in the league in percentage. And it's just like, I, I thought between, uh, I thought Kobe white would shoot a better percentage, which he started hot and he's kind of, he's going to come back to earth hard I thought Otto Porter would play more, which that's a that's a big factor. Yeah, injuries, injuries. Laurie Markinen too. Yeah, Laurie, Otto, Otto Porter, and and also Wendell Carter Jr. Like yep. those are th- those are three year starters that have not played enough minutes. And like I thought that thirty two and a half was a lock. I that's one of my like I was pounding the table and saying that's a, that's a that's a lock. That, we're getting that one. And then three of their you know four best players haven't played very much this year, and that's that's where it all goes wrong. But. Yeah, no, you're right. If you have two bad defensive players, and you're there's no like there's no like lockdown guy coming off the bench like Denzel Valentine, Chandler Hutchinson, and none of their other bigs other than Thad Young are a defensive defensive plus. I think right now Thad Young might be the only person in there. I guess Chris Dunn, Sadaransky, but Youngs mainly are the only like positive defensive players in your roster, and Sadaransky and Chris Dunn, one one with a lack of willingness to shoot and the other one who can't shoot kind of negative offensive players for the most part. It's just, it's not a, the talent hasn't fit together perfectly in any way. Ethan, our locks uh, from our over-under pods are, are not looking great. They just, <laughs> just want to say it. It's not like, so you had, you had Houston Rockets. Uh, I'm just going to go through this right quick. Cause I think it's, it's a fun thing to look through. You had Houston Rockets uh, hitting the over 54 and a half, which, uh, you know, it's, it's technically, um, you know, still, still in in play, It'd be, be 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 a tough sell maybe, but yeah, te- technically, the, technically still in play. The Bulls you, are not hardly in play. No, Bulls are Bulls, Bulls are not in play. We both uh, hit the Pistons over. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> really hard. So that that's tough. Um, man, I I hit the uh, Indiana Pacers under. Yeah. Um, 40, 46 and a half. Um, uh, that's still it's still, still possible. But, but I, 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 I hit it very hard. Yeah, you that, were that like, was... it's not. They're not going to get forties. What you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> I also hit the hit the very strong over for the Philadelphia 76ers. So that's I, rough. 
Yeah, so I like, you were also I, over, but you did not. You were not as well. You see, it's it's one of those things. Like I, locks are locks, and whatever you say, but the the Oregon Scorebook app knows the knows the best. And they, <laughs> they, they they know I thought it was a lock. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also had the Grizzlies as a lock to go under because I thought they were going to try to play for that that hold, hold on to their pick retain retain the pick. Yep. You also had the under for the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, very hard. Again, the uh, lock under. I had the lock over on the Portland Trailblazers, 45 and a half. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, so I think I think pay attention to what we think is just a regular okay our locks. picks. But don't don't listen to the locks or just yeah. or just short short the locks. Yes, indeed. Short short the locks there. Um, you do have the Denver over as a lock. Um, so that might be the only one where we're still. You know, yeah, really, say, really in play. At the end of the day, though, the scoreboard app tells the truth, and it has a Sixers over, a Bulls over, the Pistons to make the playoffs. Hey, that's still not that's still not out of it yet. All yeah, right? it is. It, yeah, it is. I mean, yes, it is. But at the same time, out of the let's see, how many games back? Oh, okay, we're 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 seven games back in the loss column. That's tough. Yeah, the the good the good the good <laughs> bets though are the the Nuggets to win their division and the Lakers to win their division. Yeah. At plus one four, at plus one fifty each. So those, I mean, obviously the Nuggets and Jazz are going to be duking it out the whole way. But I feel really confident that Lakers, uh, Lakers to win the division. That one's going to pay out nicely. That'll, yeah. that'll cover all my bad overs. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, yeah, we had we had we had some good calls though. Um, it's just none of our locks were super great. But one of our good calls was that the Cleveland Cavaliers would um, would be bad. Now we. We hit the under um, 24 wins, 24 win under, and Ethan, they currently are at 14 wins. So we're doing, we're holding on pretty well, and news is coming out out of All-Star break, and, you know, Cleveland really sneaking it in there, like probably in the middle of the fourth quarter um, uh, of, the, of the All-Star game, that, well, perhaps John Beeline might be out for the Cavs. It's tough for me because, you know, you know University of Michigan guy, um, and it just really hasn't worked out. Uh, if you, I don't know if our listeners out there are subscribers to the athletic, but you could probably also find similar stuff, uh, on ES, ESPN with Woj as he's putting stuff out too. Um, or you can just track shams on Twitter, but the idea is you know, it's been kind of a tumultuous season for John Beeline, not just the, um, slugs comment that was, uh, you know, the slugs thugs thing, uh, but also just like the, the crazy losing, right? Um, they they recently they traded for Drummond. The first game that they had him, um, they end up having their worst, I think, home loss in the history of the franchise, and and so that along with all the losing, being being there at you know just at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, which is which is an awful place to be, um, if if your goal is is to you know is to win tough for a coach for a gm if if you've planned it you can withstand it but for a coach it's really tough and it seems as though that alongside of his son um resigning under tumultuous circumstances at uh what is it niagara university um has been really causing a lot of stress for him and so uh, it seems it's looking as though he's going to be out now it's not official yet as of when we were recording this podcast on a um 11 30 on Monday, on Monday morning Pacific time, but I mean, I would assume he's going to be out of there. I mean, you can't come back from from these reports coming out at the All Star break. It's, that's really tough. Well, say I I thought this would go a little bit better than it has, um, but the, the the real moment I was like, yeah, this is this has hit a, a bump. I don't know if he'll recover from is when we we saw a bunch of veterans complaining simply about how the play calls go. And that he had his own like like elaborate system that just didn't correlate with what most of these guys have been doing with their whole lives, and it was I think Zach Lowe had mentioned it, and probably some other guys that I listen to their podcast is that because he has always been a head coach, he never has been anyone's like assistant, that he had his own rules, had his own setup, and he didn't really have to like mesh it with anything that you know correlated with his contemporaries, and. At some point, you gotta, you know, 
if you're going to go into a place that has had that all these guys have had a lot of different coaches at this point in their lives, they've had college coaches, high school, etc. Whereas when he was taking players in college, he was taking them out of high school. So they've probably had, you know, a few coaches that were of real like importance to them versus a lot of different coaches, assistants and etc. You got to find a way to, to connect with those guys. And part of that is just verbiage that makes sense to them. They don't have to think about it. It's like you say something, they know what to do. They don't have to like, well, wait, was polar bear this in the, my other system? Or was, was ice cats that in my other system? Like, you know, it's, it's stuff like that, that you can really, you can really assimilate yourself to the, the NBA culture. If you just like, you, you could change your verbiage easier than changing 15 players verbiage. And I think that's that's the worry that's the thing that miffed him and got him on the wrong page. So there there's a source on Twitter um, that that I follow. You don't like this guy, Ethan. Um, I don't like a lot of people. I know. It's just the the is um, his Twitter handle is Tim underscore NBA. Uh, his, his name there is Crangus McBasketball. He don't like him very much, Ethan. Oh uh, no, I just, I just think he's like he, he he. I think he does solid work. Like I I I would wouldn't refute that. I just think he's really full of himself. He when, and, yeah. and sometimes he's loud wrong about it. And like ah, you know, be loud, be loud, but don't be loud wrong. So he's he's a Laker fan. So I mean, there 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 that is. But um, he he's very into coaching. Like one of the one of the things that he's very passionate about is the coaching aspect of things. And for him, like. There's a Twitter thread where he goes on to explain how he like how strange he thinks this beeline thing has been because what from his perspective he says on offense he liked his offensive system like he thought that beeline was uh, for the, a number of years like I've been you know following him he's been saying best offensive system in college was was beeline's system but he says he gave up on it almost immediately um, going on into the season like the idea and, and like his defensive coordinator from U of M went. Um, and went to Texas, so he didn't bring him along with, which was which he found to be necessary. But the idea is that Love at the center would have been um, a really great fit with, with guards and wings around him. Would have been a really great fit for Cleveland, but Cleveland has only had, he says, 54 minutes of that this year. Um, and obviously small sample size, but looked pretty good. Uh, and and so it's it. it it's that there are a couple other guys who really don't like uh, he says Thompson Henson and Delhi really didn't fit the system, but everyone else fit pretty well. But then, you know, if the front office goes out and gets Andre Drummond, that's not a fit for this either. And so beeline's probably thinking to himself as well, like with, with what I'm trying to do here, you know, I'm not necessarily getting the players. Colby Altman's not getting, got, not getting me the players that I, I really need for this. And um, the vets who I'd like to do some stuff with Kevin, uh, Kevin loves unhappy doesn't want to be here either. And it, it's just I can imagine it'd be a tough time. And so uh, it's, it's unfortunate um, because I like John Beeline, but, uh, you know, because because of his University of Michigan, day, Michigan days. But, uh, you know, things have been rough in Cleveland. This is going to be how many coaches and how many years over there? It's a lot more more than you, you need to. I mean. We've had the the guy who was the the guy before Ty Lu, then Ty Lu, the interim, and they then B line. <laughs> yep. It's, it's been a, it's been a lot going on. Larry yep. Drew, I think, was the interim. But yep. regardless, it's been it's been a lot going on over there. And like we I, we were talking about this before we hit record. We talked about Kobe Altman as you know potential GM of the year guy if his Isaiah Thomas trade worked out, which notably it did not work out. And I haven't. I mean, it's it's tough. You lose LeBron James, it, you're gonna be worse. But there's just not been a lot of like s- smart picks, smart plays. Like I really think the only like really great moves that that team's made is t- like taking Kevin Porter Jr. super late in the draft, which because of his red flags, like, he that's why he fell. And then taking Dylan Windler, who hasn't played at all because yeah. of an injury problem. Those those picks are the only things I felt super confident about. You know, with with, with Sexton, you know, I, I told you guys he'd be able to shoot, and I, I, I feel vindicated in that take. But I wasn't confident in a lot of other stuff he could do, but I, you know, I thought he could shoot. And then you double down on small guards and take Darius Garland, which I get, take the best prospect available. But, like, you know, fit does matter, right? At the end of the day, and if you think Sexton's not the guy, or if that's why you're taking Garland, you need to, I think you need to pick one and, and try to shop the other. Like it's it, that's there's just too many investments in the same position, and then you take a big investment in Kevin Love when you should not have given him four years. 
Like, yeah, we that, just, that, that's like, the tough one. We just saw, like, okay, a couple years ago, we, we talked about who would just build a team around Kevin Love, Blake Griffin, or D- Draymond Green. And I got that wrong. I th- I'd said Kevin Love because I thought I thought his rebounding and passing ability is before Blake Griffin had really taken over the full-on, like, low-key point, point guard Blake. role. We hadn't yeah. seen that yet. And we saw how hard it was when Blake Griffin kind of a, assumed that position. As, I am the guy who can actually carry a team. We saw how hard it was to trade his contract. You know, Detroit gave up a lot, and it, like they could not move on from it even after last year. Like he would have been tough to move on even after like an All-Star season. And with that information, you signed Kevin Love to this huge extension. Like it was just like it didn't make sense at the time. It doesn't make sense now. It's the tough thing is obviously you want to not have it be a complete fire sale when LeBron leaves. You want you want to be able to have. Um, you know, someone. And so it's like, well, Kevin Love, uh, we'll bring you back. But the problem is you're going out and giving him at his age this long term of a deal. And in doing so, it's like, well, we want to also reclaim and hold on to the ass that we think we can move him in the future. But his age and in- injury history make that a difficulty. That's the issue with Blake Griffin, his injury history. Uh, if, if teams knew that Blake Griffin would be healthy, I don't think they'd have a problem necessarily trading for him and his larger salary. With Kevin Love, I think I think that it's even a little bit less of a certainty that teams would do that, even if they were guaranteed complete health. And 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 so, with all of this, they put themselves in kind of the mindset of oh, the like the, the same mindset the Warriors had. Let's go ahead and give D'Angelo trade for D'Angelo Russell on a sign and trade, so we can retain an asset where we're not losing Kevin Durant for nothing. Because in some situations, if you lose players, like losing Andre Drummond, if that were to have happened for us where we we lost him in free agency, we would lose him for cap space. The Golden State Warriors could not. They would be losing um, Kevin Durant for nothing because... And so essentially, because they're they're an um, over-the-cap team. Mm -hmm. So essentially, in in holding on to Russell, they're able to trade him, you know, and, and... gain some assets back with Wiggins. And again, it's, is Wiggins better than a minimum player? Is, is Angela Russell better than a minimum player? Because as long as the owner's willing to pay the tax, then we're good. The problem is with Kevin Love, Kevin Love is not as young as those guys. So even though those guys may have contracts that teams don't necessarily like, there's like, there's still an asset perhaps in there. Whereas with Kevin Love, He's he's to the age where that asset's no longer there. No one wants to trade for those 30s years of of a player like him, and so yeah. it, it's just it's a tough situation, and they shouldn't have done it. But that was the big move that I think really put them in a, in a difficult spot. Retention of those guys who are aging out of their prime, and their their prime even was sometimes a tough fit to figure out winning. That's a dangerous signing when you don't have a winning team around you so like we're thinking let's think about other guys who just got paid recently jimmy butler is like by the end of his contract he's probably gonna have hit 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 a wall and go down right but the heat acquired him with a youthful base around him that was already on the rise right like even before like the justice winslow trade which you know still working through that one like Justice Winslow was looking like a player who could supplement whatever Jimmy would be losing because he's going to be a defensive stud. You had you had just drafted you know a three point specialist um, Tower Hero who has turned into maybe even more of that. You knew you had a great defensive center in Bam who can cover up for a lot of mistakes with his lateral quickness and and ability to get vertical quickly. And and then you know, Goran Dragic is like you know just a, a head to keep the team together while the transition occurs. So. When you were in Cleveland, you were putting the hand, you're putting it in a young ball handler's hand, hands and Colin Sexton. Really, your only like vet was Tristan Thompson, who has a lot of the same aging problems. Like he's he's a good, decent switch defender, but he's he's not like gonna he's not gonna grow with this young team to help this aging superstar. You over you pay through the nose for those those aging superstars when you are putting when you have a winning situation. If you don't have a winning situation, it's really hard to to justify it because all of a sudden, this guy, all, like all these weaknesses he has, are going to get exposed when he's surrounded by young players who can't cover for it. And I think that's where like the Heat made the correct decision in 
will give up a lot to get Jimmy Butler. It's worth it. And like I said, Justice Winslow is a big part of that, in my opinion, because he could take the biggest defense, defensive responsibility. Like, let's say two years from now, when Jimmy couldn't do it anymore, obviously we went to a more of a win-now thing, hoping that Giannis wants to come here. But the logic was sound. Yeah. Who was going to cover for Kevin Love's defensive problems ever since the, since they signed that contract? Not a single person. And that's the biggest problem. I wonder what this means for Kobe Altman going forward because this was his first legitimate head coach signing. And I do think Dan Gilbert had a lot to do with it, though. I'm not going to say Dan Gilbert will remember that by now. But Dan, I think Dan Gilbert had his hands in that a lot because he's tried to pry Tom Izzo from Michigan State before he's tried to get – and then got John Beeline from Michigan. Like, he's dipped his his toes into the Michigan State he, school he, He's coaching. a Michigan guy. Yeah, I know. He's from Detroit or, like, he, all, a lot of his business adventures are in Detroit. So that, that all makes makes a lot of sense. I This is my hope. You know, if, if John Beeline does step down and this season, you know, obviously it's, 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 the season's over for them. It's all about trying to figure something else out. You know, for our sake, Richard, because we, we have a lot of stock in this Andre Drummond being a good player thing. And uh, since his first trade rumors came up, he has not been a good player no. uh, since the Atlanta trade rumors. So what we need to hope for is whatever interim coach comes around, they, they just install this great defensive system <laughs> that makes Drummond shine. And the Cavs can maybe put together a little bit of a run with Drummond and Love playing really well. He, Otherwise, he, buddy, we're toast. Our, our drum and takes are going to be get exposed. We're no, gonna... it, it's it's not going to be. It's not going to. It's not going to age well. And this is why I I end up wondering. You know, do because the Andre Drummond decision is is the next big decision that Kobe Altman's going to have to make. Obviously, got to bring in a coach. But do you want Kobe Altman to say to to make a decision where we are heavily investing in Andre Drummond here in Cleveland? Going forward, because if you allow Kobe Altman to pay Andre Drummond uh, whatever long-term deal that is. Let's now, just say three years. Let's just say he gives him a three-year extension, more or less. So. And then you stink for another year after that. Then you fire him. Then the next GM is going to... Is saddled with Kevin Love's mistake and and a potential Andre Drummond mistake. Like, and, and, and this is what ends up happening. And by the time you get to we'd be clear of previous front office sins, you might be out yourself. Like there's this issue going on with Detroit, right? The you know previous regime goes out and trades for Blake Griffin, obviously with ownership's um, approval. So like ownership knows about this and is aware, but at the same time, we, we, with the new, uh, with, with the new regime, we tried going for it, made the eighth seed. And now we're having to dismantle it, but we got to wait another couple of years for, this Blake Griffin thing to be figured out. So it, it begins to like, you begin to have this overlap where we're constantly having the front office, having to deal with stuff and then make decisions to try to save themselves and then getting fired because things don't work. But then those decisions are now impacting the next front office and the next front office. And, and, and it, I think ever since LeBron James, um, left it started you know in the kevin love contract you go out and do that it's set it's set up for and by the way kevin love gone out and and gotten by the previous you know but by, by the previous gm because lebron wanted it to happen and then this pressure probably from ownership to retain kevin love like i don't necessarily know that that was colby altman saying this is the wise thing to do it was probably ownership um, saying, "Hey, we need to make sure we, we do we have something." And Kobe Altman saying, "Well, you know, maybe he'll retain an asset, and we can move him later on if we need to." And that's the way he tried to rationalize it while trying to keep his job, talking to his boss. So, like, I don't know. It, it's a tough situation Cleveland finds themselves in, and it's one that I think a lot of teams uh, end up um, finding themselves in because of mismanaged things along the way. Yeah, not not all teams can be the Spurs and the Heat, where you've had leadership in place to where when they make mistakes, like maybe trading for Demar Derozan or signing Kelly Olynyk, James Johnson, and Dion Waiters. Not those GMs that make those mistakes don't always get to live it out, and that's that's the unfortunate thing is where. Sometimes you know Pat Riley can fix the mistake. He can trade for some expiring deals and work it out, and it'll all be fine. But not most guys get fired, and then everyone else has to 
has to figure it out from there. So it's just, it's just tricky. Yeah. You don't always get to fix your mistakes. Yep. All right, Ethan. Well, that's that's all I got. Um, it's uh, been a nice weekend. Um, and it's gonna be tough with no basketball really happening. I, I guess for for me, we're we're still coaching in the playoffs, so I still have a little bit of basketball, just not NBA basketball to deal with. Well, hey, no NBA basketball till Thursday. We got we got time to watch some college prospects or high school basketball. Exciting high school times. basketball. High school basketball. Yep. All right, Ethan. Good talking with you. We'll, we'll see, see you, you next time. time.